Well, I'm going to tell you what's really happening today. What happened is the rapture took place and all the real Christians went to heaven. That's what happened. <laughs> they were the volunteers, the servants of the Lord. Not really. Okay, you knew that, didn't you? You have assurance of your salvation, don't you? I want to apologize right out of the gate for those of you who are waiting to get your coffee time here this morning. If you fall asleep, I'll understand during the sermon. That's all right. Not really. I'll have someone wake you up. Pastor Roger, you know, the buckets. I, this was made to make you feel uncomfortable, to know what it was like to have no servants of the Lord here to greet, meet, help. Uh, but I think the most uncomfortable person here today is me. I've had a hard time with this. We, uh, we, the, the idea came before us, and we talked it out and worked it through. And they kept trying to take things away, and I kept trying to put them back. And finally I said, you guys just do it. I'll, I'll go back to trying to cover and make sure everything's happening and going right. Pastor Roger said if we put some chicken in the buckets, he's in full all the way, you know. What a weird day this is. No parking help, no greeters, no shuttle, no coffee, no donuts. Come next week and enjoy our Carbs for Christ program as donuts and cashews will reappear here. It's an awkward Sunday. No bells, no whistles, no lights, no servants, no help. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, show us today from your word the truth that would reveal the importance of welcoming warmly with love those that you're sending. Move our hearts, Lord, while we'll think of uh, the impact we can make with our lives that is kingdom and eternal. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give credit to this uh, idea today. It's not an original idea. It came out of Elevation Church in North Carolina, Pastor Steve Furtick. A creative idea. And I, I just wanted to say that because we, we took a lot of their ideas today, and I think that's integrity. But, but I want to talk to you about the miracle of serving. We're going to look at Jesus' first miracle, and it had to do with turning the water into wine. It was kind of funny in the first service. I reached for water down here. There was no water. Because we didn't have anybody to put it there this week. So they went out, uh, and I wouldn't let anybody else do it. It had to be a pastor, because, uh, uh, but they brought the water up, so I, I have a bottle now. I'm grateful for that. But everything falls apart when you guys aren't serving, when there aren't people who are ready to, uh, to, to take care of things. And thank you so much for your service. I found out Devin takes care of the water, and I didn't even know that. So I'm grateful for, um, for Devin today. But what we're going to do is we're going to affirm workers today. Affirm those volunteers, and we're going to recruit. We're going to hope for a pull that comes from the Holy Spirit to recruit workers to help so that we can make a great impact. So let's look at this first miracle of Jesus Christ. It happens in John 2, if you have a Bible. It will not be up on the screen for you today, so follow uh, along in your, in your Bibles there. But the first thing I see from this text that I want to uh, bring out to you that will help us today is this. Dishonoring guests is a terrible thing says this in verse 1 of John chapter 2. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to this celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivity, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now, that may not look very impactful to you as you read that in the Bible. They have no more wine. But it was huge in that culture. That culture was a culture of honor. 
The thing that drove the culture, the thing that was huge in the culture was honoring and being honored. And so for people to come to a wedding wedding, party in those days and not have the wine or the food would have been hugely embarrassing to the bride and the groom and their families. Because what it was saying is to the guests, you, we don't, we're not going to honor you today. We're not prepared for you because we don't think you're that important. We don't value you. And so it was about to be a very embarrassing thing when the bride and the groom ran out of wine. As a matter of fact, you could be fined in that culture for not having enough wine and food or not bringing a gift that followed proper protocol, like a citation, a ticket. That, that's how they were into honor. Our culture's into money. Money drives everything. Their culture, it was about honor, not about money. And so the bride and the groom are about to be hugely embarrassed, and it takes a wonderful woman like Mary to say to Jesus, they have no more wine. And this is compassion coming from her. And it's an, oh, no. Oh, no. They're about to be embarrassed. Well, Jesus knows what she's saying. And he's not really ready to respond. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But let me say here, the thought was, the guests aren't going to be taken care of. Did you know that God is sending us guests every week that he wants us to take care of? We're supposed to honor them. Honoring them will cause them to discover the, the love of God. And it'll happen through us. We need to treat guests that walk into this place that are a part of our ministries here, that show up anytime we gather, we need to treat them as VIPs, very important people. We need to make this an atmosphere where they have their best opportunity to find Jesus. Do you remember when you were a first-time guest at this site? Maybe it was the other site. Do you remember how you were treated? Was it warm? Was it nice? As a matter of fact, lift your hand if when you came to this church, the very first Sunday you showed up, you got a really warm and wonderful greeting from people. Lift your hand. All right? That's a little better than the first service. We must not be as friendly in that service. But that's still not quite half. To the, to the other half, I want to say, thank you for hanging in there till it all worked out with us. But there's something that's so great when you walk into a place and you're new and you don't know anyone. It's a great blessing to, to have people greet you warmly. I have a friend named Jeff, and he travels nationally as a consultant for churches. And one of the things he checks is overall church friendliness. So he's always doing his own personal survey, and it happens by the way people treat him. So he'll show up early, and he'll stay late, and then when he and the pastor do talks, he'll give them some of their observations. And he'll do it more than one service sometimes. Well, he told me that in most churches across America, small and large, going to a church is like going to the movie theater these days. There are people who are with the people they're with and they're headed where they're going to go, to their ministry, their thing, and they don't talk to other people. They talk to the ones they're with and then they move about. He said that he had a terrible experience at one church once. This was the worst of it for him. He came into a very large church and he said a pretty good church overall but they weren't very friendly. As a matter of fact, they didn't greet. He came 15 or 20 minutes early. Not one person said hello to him or greeted him the whole time. Moved into the sanctuary. Not even an usher shook his hand. And then after the service, he hung around for a while and they had a potluck. 
So he's standing around for 30 minutes as the potluck is starting to take place and no one has talked to him all day long. Finally, somebody comes over to him thinking he looks a bit suspicious and say, says, is there anything I can help you with? And he said it was just terrible. I mean, he felt like they were going to do a criminal history check on him for just showing up, you know. What kind of atmosphere are we creating for people who walk through these doors? Is, are we a movie theater? I don't think so. I hope not. God wants us to honor the guests that he is sending in the same way that guests were supposed to be honored in those days when they showed up for that celebration. Someone recently drove onto this campus and they left this on a card. I love seeing things like this. They wrote it out on a, a communication card. This is my second visit to the church and I was pleasantly surprised to be welcomed as soon as I entered the parking lot like I was a long lost friend. Thank you for that. I mean that someone would take the time and write that down means that you were warm and friendly and loving. In the book of Acts, Paul's a prisoner on a ship. Acts 28 says that the ship is uh, shipwrecked. And um, they float in on the Isle of Malta. And these guys have been prisoners. They're washed up on shore. They've been out in a storm. And I love what the Bible says about how the people of Malta, that island, and by the way, that's right, by, right across the Mediterranean Sea from Libya where all the struggles are going on right now in our world. But when they washed up on that island, here's what it says. The people of the island were very kind to us. This is Acts 28.1. It was cold and rainy. And here it is. I love this. So they built a fire on the shore to welcome us and warm us. Wow, a warm welcome. They built a fire as if we're glad you're here. And oh, I think God wants us to love the guests and treat them as VIPs that walk through these doors like we're so glad they're here. A genuine warm welcome because we're glad God has brought them this way. That's our gift. It's his love and joy given to others because it's given to us. I hope this is the last Sunday that we ever run out of new wine here. The last Sunday that we don't have servants who are ready for the guests that God is sending us. Second thought from this passage today, we're going to look at verse 4. But here's the thought. None of us have more important things to do. When it comes to serving, none of us have more important things to do. John 2, 4, Dear woman... This is Jesus. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time is not yet, I'll try that again in a, in a proper language. My time has not yet come. This is the only place that I would say teenagers don't follow Jesus' example. When your mom tells you to load the dishwasher, don't say, dear woman, that's not my problem, all right? <laughs> my time has not yet come. You handle that yourself. But <clears throat> Jesus initially disassociates himself here. Now, he knows what she's saying when she says there's no wine. These people are about to be really embarrassed. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, my public time to come out in ministry and to do these miracles, it's not shown up yet. But she says it with her eyes to him and her, her spirit, she says, but they're going to be really embarrassed if, if you don't help. And I know who you are. Right? I mean, when you've been impregnated by the Holy Spirit and you didn't have a husband or a man do that to you, you pretty much know who you're carrying there. Mary knew. 
She'd seen God's hand upon him in a special way already. She knew he could do something about this with a miracle. But he says, not now. But he, he yields. Even though he says those words right there, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. Because he has compassion in his heart, he yields. Now, there may be some of us here today who would say, you know, I'm just a little too busy. I don't really have time to do that. I want to save my time for more important tasks. Now, if anybody could carry that spirit, who more than Jesus Christ? Right? Who's more important than Jesus? Who has more power? And Jesus, even though it's just about a a place where guests need to be made comfortable, it's a celebration and where the bride and groom are kept from being embarrassed, even though that's all it is, he yields and he performs a miracle. He stoops, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, stoops to serve just so the groom and the bride won't be embarrassed. And you may think, well, I'm, I'm overqualified. Listen, I, I think we can have people with gifts working in every area around here that have six-figure salaries and, and are presidents of corporation. If Jesus can stoop to make people comfortable and love them, we can, we can reach down and wash the feet of people that are coming to this church. One of the things that really bugged me about this day, as a matter of fact, I thought about it at least a dozen times in the last 24 hours. I heard that snow might come, so that was part of the problem in my mind. But I knew you weren't going to have a shuttle coming from that parking lot. And that's probably one of the mistakes we made here in doing this site is we don't have enough parking close enough. As a matter of fact, the plans have changed. Just for $200,000, we can put another 175 parking spots where that grass is. And we may do that someday, but we can't do it now. So we have to shuttle people over. Well, if you have to walk, how many know the rain always goes sideways on this site? Have you noticed that? That the wind blows across here because it's an open plain, you know, with these, with these 40 acres. And just the thought of you people having to walk across there, maybe in the rain or the snow, with snow on the sidewalk and no help, it grieved me. The thought of a guest coming in and trying to figure it out with no help and walking 250 yards to get over here, Will they come back even? Well, we've run one shuttle bus because we don't have enough drivers to, 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 to run more than that. Now we have three, three, they're used, but they're really great shuttle buses that we just picked up. And, and I want to run more than that. And I said to, the, to one of the staff members, Pastor Jeff, in charge of those volunteers, I said, Jeff, let's run two. He said, we don't have enough volunteers. Well, what do you mean? We can, we can find volunteers. He goes, well, we're trying, but the pe- people just won't step up. And I, don't, I, I guess I don't know what it is. Maybe we don't know the importance of, of, of the thought that someone who comes on for the first time might never come back again if we don't take care of them, if we don't make this a warm, welcoming, and loving place. But all oh, those shuttle drivers make a difference. I mean, already I've, I read to you a comment card about the impact that some of these people had when they drove right onto the campus. Jesus was way overqualified to fix the wedding but he did it. He served. I like that thought that Derry Northrup gave us a few months ago when he preached here. He said, there are two kinds of people. There are those that walk into a room and say, here I am, and those who walk into a room and say, there you are. God's people are the there you are people. They're not the here I am. They're not the serve me people. They're the will serve you people. 
As a matter of fact, I love what Pastor Steve Furtick has said. You're never more like Jesus than when you serve. That's worth saying twice. You're never more like Jesus than when you serve. Jesus was a servant to all. Even at the wedding, he wanted to make sure that they were comfortable. Philippians 2, verse 3, But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. A few weeks ago, I shared a story with you um, about the Twalton Rec Center. When I was a youth pastor, I, I went over there and um, hung out with kids. And I want to read you something in just a moment that, that made me cry uh, when I read it. I, I got a Facebook message last week. But I want you to know this. Uh, I went to the rec center to reach out to kids because somebody told me that uh, when you love kids, they'll respond. It, it wasn't necessarily part of my job portfolio to go to the rec center and to play foosball with these headbangers, they were called in that day. I didn't dress like them. I didn't look like them. But I just went there to love on them. And uh, I had no idea the impact it would bring. Now, we saw some of those lives saved, but... I, I just thought of that impact being what it was in those, in those moments. And it was exciting and wonderful. But I got, I got this message uh, just, just last week. Let me read it to you. It says, Hi, Pastor. I thought I would share something that you wouldn't know otherwise. A few weeks ago, you shared a story about hanging out at the Twalton Rec Center, trying to reach those long-haired kids that really needed it. Well, I was one of those kids. My jaw dropped when I found out that it was you, that you were the one who was there. I always remembered someone that really seemed to care. I didn't know that it was you until that day in that service. Although I really wanted to hear more from you back then, I felt pressured by my friends. I want you to know that one of your seeds did hit me. See, he's here at this church now. And, and so he heard this sermon about chucking seed, and so now he's talking in those terms. I wanted you to know that your seeds... One of your seeds did hit me, and even though I hung out with some friends that used drugs, I made a choice not to. All I could remember was this genuinely nice person cared about me. Now, now honestly, I'm, just, I'm not telling this story to, to elevate me, although this really blesses me personally. I may lose my reward in heaven for sharing this story today. But I'm willing to risk that so you can know what it means when genuinely nice people care about others. You say, what difference does it make when you walk in if you get a warm smile and someone who talks to you and wonders how your day has been and what's going on? When genuinely nice people care, the, the Holy Spirit starts to work and do some incredible things. And I'll tell you, I don't think I ever talked about Jesus once at that rec center in those days. Not once. I just went there to build relationships and love kids with the thought, if I go to their turf, perhaps they'll come to mine. Well, he says about nice person who cared, that was rare to me, and I never forgot it. My mom and dad were divorced, and she worked three jobs just to keep a roof over my head. Dad didn't pay child support. I was lost and trying to find my way, and friends were my only lifeline. 
your words and your kindness did germinate within me. As the years passed, I went to church a few times at Grace Community, but since my mom worked so much, it didn't happen too frequently. Now listen to this. I love this line. He wrote it so well. But I always felt warm and fulfilled there in a mostly unfulfilling life. Do you realize what's happening every time we gather here? I hope you're blessed, but it's not just about you. There is someone here today, and it is life and death for them. They are on the verge of of depression, the brink of despair. And they're walking through the doors. I have heard at least 100 times in the nearly 18 years I've been here as senior pastor, people say that I drove by the church and I looked at the sign, at both sides I've heard them say this, and I felt a voice say, go to church there. Who do you think that voice is? Now, it, it blesses me that God would honor us enough and think enough about us to send someone here who could know him and find love. That blesses me. But it also know, makes me know that we have a tremendous responsibility. I want you to know there are people walking through these doors that need you and your care and your concern and your love will help them because they feel fulfilled here in a mostly unfulfilling life, as this young man said. And by the way, 27 years ago is when this happened. Then he goes on to say, I'm going to fast forward through my very long story. I was in the army serving as a military police officer, getting ready for deployment into combat. I had a really good sergeant and friend that took your seed, and I became a born-again Christian. This is years later. When I moved back to Oregon, years later, there were many events unknowingly to me that brought me to you and to Horizon. I did not know that my whole life would lead my family and I back to you and my original church. Just wanted to share a small condensed story about how you brought God into my life from throwing seed. And all the seed was, was caring. That's all it was. When you care about people, God's going to impact their lives. Just showing up and caring makes an incredible impact. I want to just take a moment to say thanks to the youth workers that are here today. You are heroes. There are good kids in this church, and you're caring, and you're loving, and you're an important influence in their life. But there are kids like this young man that come to this church too, whose dads aren't present. Young ladies with eating disorders show up. And I want to thank our youth workers for caring enough, for caring enough to invest in those young lives. You have no idea the difference you're making when you spend time to care and to love on them. And thank you so much. That's just a little predecessor to what you're going to hear when you stand before Jesus someday because you took the time to care. Thank you. Third thought here now. Do what Jesus tells you to do. Verse 5. But his mother told the servants. Now I find this funny because Jesus doesn't even say, okay, mom, I will, right? She says they have no wine and then the way it looks here, she turns and says, do what he tells you to do. Like she knows that he's going to help. She's a caring, compassionate, godly woman and she says, you do what he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. Verse 6, six stone water pots were standing there. They were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes and held 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled 
to the brim, it says. Let me stop there for a moment. So Jesus had filled the jars with water. Now, if they carry 20 to 30 gallons, let, let's uh, deduce from the scriptures here what had to be taking place. A pot with 20 to 30 gallons of water would weigh about 250 pounds, give or take. They have to go to a well in these days, a little bit of a distance uh, from the front door. So either they carried the big pot out there and filled it from the well and carried back 250 pounds, which is not likely because that would be really awkward, wouldn't it? It's just an unbalanced, weird load. Probably what they did is they took smaller containers, went to the well several times to come and fill these water pots up. A menial task of taking a cup of water or perhaps a pan of water or a bucket of water back over and over again. And I like it that they didn't just fill it, they filled it to the brim. They did it to the max. They followed the directions of Jesus. It seems that it would have been easy to say, I don't want to take all the time to do that. What's the point? But they didn't realize that they were about to see a miracle. Karen, when she was growing up, had some next-door neighbors that were friends. And it was a pretty cool family. But there's a funny story about one of their daughters. Um, as she was growing up, getting into her teen years, um, her dad was telling her that she needed to do her work around the house and, and that she needed to go to work and get a job. She didn't like growing and you know, having to deal with that responsibility. And she said something like this to him one day. Listen, I didn't ask to be born. You're the one. You and mom decided that you were going to bring me into this world and you have to take the responsibility to take care of me because you, you are the ones who gave birth to me. Now, how do you think that went over with dad that day? <laughs> Not too well because, you know, there's a direct correlation between wanting to be served and serving. There's a direct correlation uh, it, with maturity there. It is immaturity to want to be served all the time but never serve. It is spiritual immaturity to come into a place and receive all the benefits and want to be served, but never being willing to serve. I like what my friend Troy Jones, who's a pastor in Renton, Washington, said. The church is a battleship, not a cruise ship. Say it one more time. The church is a battleship, not a cruise ship. Jesus doesn't want us to gather just so we have a, a, a good time and enjoy lots of good food and company with one another. He's for those things. Those are, those are good and they're, they're, they're cool and they're fun and there's fellowship. But that's not all it is. I mean, there's fellowship that takes place on a battleship too between comrades, right? Troy goes on to say, our mission is to make disciples, not consumers. Are you serving? Are you growing? Are you giving? Are you in a growth group? Are you inviting friends far from God? If not, you are a consumer, not a disciple. Let's look at the volunteer opportunities here for a week. Just, just, just Sundays. Let's look at Sundays. How many people do you think it takes to run the Sunday ministries, morning and evening around here? If we're fully staffed, it takes 228 workers that are volunteering to operate on Sundays, right here at Horizon. 
Now, that's just 228 workers. We don't want to tax all those to come back every Sunday and be serving. We'd like to have a rotation. So everybody, I mean, some of these guys who serve on the media team, they have to serve both hours. So we'd like them on a rotation where they can worship too. It's not the same when you're taking care of the task back there. 228 to run a Sunday. That is 20, or I'm sorry, that's 513 hours per Sunday. Volunteer hours. That is 26,676 volunteer hours a year for just our Sunday ministries. That, if we paid minimum wage, would be $226,746 just to pay for the volunteer hours that go on around here. Well, their service, your service as you serve here, God bless you, is worth way more than minimum wage. You are storing treasures up in heaven and you're making a difference for eternity. Let's look at children's ministry for a moment. I don't, I'm not sure we know what it takes to run this stuff. Did you know if people come into this church for the first time and they go to a nursery or a toddler room or a children's area that's not properly staffed, doesn't have enough adult supervision, it doesn't matter how spiritual the impact would be, they won't come back. So we might have unbelievers come in here and say, okay, well, we'll try this and walk over and say, uh, there's not enough people in there. My kid's not, I, I, it doesn't look super, and they're gone. And we lose our opportunity to serve them. I, I'm just going to say it. Too often, all we're thinking about is ourselves. We're not thinking about our guests, these VIPs, those that the Lord wants us to honor, those that we could have an impact with in their lives. Do you know what it would be around, like around here if we didn't have children's ministry workers? I mean, all the kids would be in the service, and that's fun once, right? They wanted to shut down children's ministry completely today, and I just said, we can't do it. We, we are not going to do that. It'll be, it'll be chaos. As a matter of fact, here's just a little glimpse of what it would look like. The only video of the day, Pastor David's going to run it back. There are no volunteers, just pastors today. Here's what it would look like if we didn't have children's ministry support. <laughs> like that anyway <laughs> but when our children go up there listen I'm telling you we have first class children's ministries we have tremendous leaders and when kids go up there not only do they get love the love of God that meets them but they get adults who pray for them adults who ask them how their week's gone teachers who studied and are prayed up to minister to a three-year-old as the Spirit of God moves. Now, you're glad for that for your kids, right? I know you are. Man, we need it to be in shape for those that are coming, too. And listen, if we keep it staffed like it's staffed now, we can't grow beyond this point. We have to keep moving. Horizon's best days are ahead of us, not behind us. If we'll get ready, the Lord will continue to send them and we'll see an explosion, but we have to have people who understand the miracle of serving. The impact comes when people humble themselves like Jesus and say, I will serve to make that visitor comfortable. Thank you to the children's workers. We love you guys. You've loved our kids. You're loving these kids that are coming from families that don't know God. Thank you so much. You're making an eternal impact. 
Thank you, Lord, for the singles ministries and the workers that are there reaching to those hurting hearts. I thank the Lord for the greeters that have that warm smile, the ushers, everyone involved around here volunteering. You are making an incredible difference. It made me think of this scripture, so I want to read it to you. Philippians 1.3, Paul said, to some servants of the Lord, and it, it makes me think of you. It's how I feel about you. Every time, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I always pray for you, and I make my request with a heart full of joy because you've been my partners in spreading the good news. That's what we are. We're partners. Hey, it's not my show. It's not Kenny's show. It's his show. We, we can, if we just do this and all this other stuff isn't taking happen, nobody's here. It's us. It's kingdom. And you are making an eternal difference. You're a partner in the gospel. Thank you for that. So I would say to you, like verse 5 says, do what Jesus tells you to do. That's what she said in verse 5. Do whatever he tells you. I don't want to tell you what ministries to hook up with, what to do. There could be ministry beyond this place where you're serving, and that's cool. But here's what I want to say to you. It's serving somewhere as part of God's plan for you. Every Christian, one of, the, one of the principles of the Bible is that we should all serve somewhere. Now perhaps you're, you're, you're one of those who've just been used and abused because usually 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? That's why we need other workers to relieve these wonderful people. But sometimes we work people so much in a church we, and we chew them up and we spit them out and... They're just so tired, they, they don't want to serve anymore. And if that happened to you, I want to say I'm sorry, but I'll tell you this, we didn't want that to happen to you. As a matter of fact, we, we want to care for you and provide for you in such a way that here's how we want it to happen. A manageable chunk of time within your gifting. That's what God wants. And if everybody's doing that, we don't have any serving problems around here. We're ready for every visitor, every guest that walks through those doors. And if we'll just do what Jesus tells us to do, you pray, you ask him, then our guests will be honored in an incredible fashion. Fourth thought here, and I love this one. It's my favorite today. Only those serving saw the miracle. Isn't that cool? Look what it says in verse eight. He said, that's Jesus, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So this is the master of ceremonies of the wedding. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, isn't that cool? The master of ceremony, the guests did not know that the miracle had even taken place. But those who were serving saw the miracle. There's a blessing from serving you can never know until you get in. A life touched, a life changed. So the master of ceremony called the bridegroom over and he said, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. The master of ceremonies didn't even know and Jesus and the servants didn't tell him. Everyone that day tasted the finished product, but only the servants saw the miracle. I invite you to come close and serve and see the miracle. See the impact. Know the blessing 
of knowing that God's used your life to help someone come to him. I want to read this email to you. It was sent to Pastor Troy Jones of Renton, Washington. They're doing a great job. This is a wonderful church in Renton, Washington. An acquaintance, a friend of mine. And I read this on his blog. I want to read it to you so you can know the impact. Because I, I don't think we know. I don't think our people have thought about this much overall. We think about the impact on us, but not about the impact on others enough. So check this out. The email from this young lady said, I want to let you know the deep experience I had on Sunday. I grew up Catholic. I drifted away from the church, but had an experience where Jesus touched my life profoundly a few years ago, when after many, many years of infertility, my son was born. I wanted to celebrate the way I felt with my local church. My husband and I moved from New Zealand to Mercer Island five years ago. What I got was disappointing when I got to church. And once again, I drifted away, attending only certain days, feeling only obligation, not the joyful elation or celebration. But I retained my connection with Jesus. My profound belief that after everything Jesus had done for me, he did not want me to be unhappy. He's with me and has helped me through, through work and family difficulties. I made a deal with him. If you like, my place of worship will be the nature, the sea, and the sand. That was her deal with God. And that's where I felt close to him. She didn't go to church. The other time I felt close to him was when I would sing loudly in the car or in the kitchen. When I was young, going to church with my mother, the parish was very into music, and that was always one of my favorite parts. This last Sunday, she says, I woke up with a push from Jesus to try your church. I was tired. It was going to be an effort to get myself and my son, who's almost too ready, and then to try and find this church. I spoke with Jesus, pretty much complaining that I was okay the way I was, and really, did it matter if I went or not? Surely, he was busy and wouldn't notice if I was there in church or not. And then she says in bold, large print, wrong. What I got back was a thought that was like a Bible verse. Here's what she felt, the impression when she had those thoughts. The thought was, I know all my children. You matter. Even if a sparrow falls, I know. She says, even though I was doubtful, what did it really matter? But I decided that if this is what you want me to do, Jesus, I'll do it. And I did. I found the church. Okay, bless my GPS. And started taking my son out of his car seat. Now, here's her experience when she gets there. I was reapplying his shoes, grabbing the apple juice, the snacks, the books, the toys to keep him occupied. My first contact was a man in a golf cart offering a lift to me and my son all the way to the church. Wow, thank you. But I felt embarrassed to have him wait while I got loaded up. I appreciated the kindness in his genuine smile. I approached the front doors and was greeted by more friendly, smiling people telling me I was welcome. I went into the main auditorium and yet another person told me welcome and told me about the toddler program. I wasn't ready to do that yet. So I declined that kind offer. My son and I sat down at the outside edge with easy access to the door. We took in our surroundings. People started to come in and some actually sat next to us and smiled. The last time my son and I went to church, we had people get up and move away thinking a toddler would be distracting. And then the music started. 
it was amazing. What I saw were people that were deeply spiritual. I heard the awesome music and I witnessed a congregation that were so into the proceedings that it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. My son and I were mesmerized. We watched the baptism and then we had our own little water experience as my son's diaper came adrift and his pants and part of my leg became very wet. Okay, show over, time to go. I bundled him up, took him to the lobby to get cleaned up. And there I saw one of my friends. She offered to help me. And we got my son tidied up. As I came out of the ladies' room, another friend was also out in the lobby with her two-year-old. She helped me while I went back to my car to get a pair of pants for my son. With their encouragement and support, my son and I returned to our seats in time to hear your words about the lost sheep. Do you know he's orchestrating moments for people to come in here? He orchestrated moments for you and for me. What about the lost sheep? The one lost sheep that matters, she said. That's what you spoke about. It matters as much as the rest of the flock and your wonderful modern-day parable of the children at the mall. I'll never forget that moment. It echoed what Jesus had tried to tell me earlier in the day. I felt like I truly had been led to church, that I was meant to hear you speak. I was deeply moved. I had come home. Leaving the church, I stopped to speak with you and just couldn't seem to say anything apart from thank you, Pastor Troy. As you can probably tell, I'm not usually one to be brief with words, but I was speechless. Later, the day seemed brighter, the clouds parted and the sun shone. My soul is in blossom again. You'll see us again next week. Thank you, and God bless. I read that in the first service and I had a woman come up afterwards for prayer and I prayed with her about some tough circumstances in her life. She's going through a divorce. She feels abandoned and forsaken. And after we prayed, she said, I want you to know something. That story you read today, it's happened to me here. This was today, after the first service. She said, I came through these doors just really hurting. And I found people with smiles that were greeting me and kind and loving me. And I've been back for a few weeks now. I love this church. She really needs the Lord to help her right now. And we're his servants, aren't we? We're here to help. If you'll get in and serve, you'll see the miracle as his servant. Only the servant saw it. You'll hear the stories. You'll be part of it. I wasn't going to tell this, but I'm just going to close with this, uh, this story. Some of you have heard it before. It has to do with an usher's word to a young, angry man. My friend Jim Bennett. He and his wife were splitting up. They got married. I think they were 17 and 15 when they got married. This was many years ago. Now, problems right out of the gate, right? For sure, there. She was angry with him. They were fighting. She said, I'm leaving you. 
She walked out the door. He said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to church and you're not coming. Well, guess what that made him want to do? He drank and did drugs and walked into that church high that morning saying, I'll show her. As he walked in, he had very long hair several years ago, probably during the hippie days. Had the look that wasn't a church look. These days, it seems like any looks fine. Kind of like that, actually, as long as it's modest, you know. He saw an usher spot him coming through the door and walk directly towards him, just as serious as he could be. And he thought, if that guy tells me to leave, I am going to lay him out in the floor and knock him out right here. Now, this guy's high. You know what that usher did? He went right up, stuck his hand out, and said, young man, we are so glad you're here today. Come and sit with me, would you? Jim said he sobered up in that moment. He feels like now. Because you see, now my friend Jim is a pastor. He's been one of the best pastors I've ever known. Jim Bennett, now pastor in Estacada. I mean, I used to go to his church and preach when I was district youth director. I love him. He's such a man of God. His story is about the usher, not the preacher. God help us. God help us, because I'm going to tell you, he's ready to send him if we'll be ready to receive him. Bow your heads and we're going to pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. We have freely received it and now you're, you're calling us, Lord, to freely give it. Lord, there are a lot of cares in this life that are legitimate cares and concerns. And if we're not careful, Lord, we can just move away from the service that you've called us to. Lord, you know what it means when someone with a gift of hosting warmly welcomes when someone walks through the door. Lord, you know the impact of, you use it all the time. The power of your Holy Spirit flows when your love comes from a heart with a warm welcome. Lord, I pray you'd help us to love the way you love, to have enough compassion to serve like you served.